chapter 6, verse 1, Romans. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? Come on, everybody. By no means. Or in, in, Hebrew, uh, in Greek, meginoita, which means hell no. Write that down. Meginoita, which is Greek for let it not be so, or literally hell no. <laughs> By no means. Absolutely not. Yet, that is the argument that was being leveled against Paul, especially from Jewish Christian groups who were looking at his proclamation of grace and looking at his position on the law and saying, hey, you're encouraging sin. You're encouraging sin by saying that it's by grace through faith that we are saved. You're encouraging sin by saying this. And he's saying, nuh-uh. He's already said this. He's coming back to this. We, we covered this in chapter 3. He's coming back. See, I'm not the only one who repeats. <laughs> <laughs> what then are we to say? Should we, should we, I'm following a good example here. What are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? Should we sin more so we can get more grace? I mean, that sounds like a good idea to me too. But he says, make an oita. No, by no means. Hell no. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? If we've died to sin, if sin no longer exercises a dominion over us, why would we want to continue sinning? It just doesn't make any sense, Paul is saying. By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I'm going to translate that slightly differently here. Do you not know that all of us who have been immersed into Christ Jesus were immersed into his death? Do you not know that all of us who have been plunged into Christ Jesus have been plunged into his death? Another translation. Do you not know that all of us who have been incorporated into Christ Jesus have been incorporated into his death? Do you not know that all of us who have been initiated into Christ Jesus have been initiated into his death? All of those ideas, all of those words are fairly synonymous here. To baptize means to plunge into, to immerse into, to descend into, to be engulfed by, and remain there. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized Baptizo. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, by immersion into death, by incorporation into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. If we are in Christ, if we have been immersed into Jesus, if we have been incorporated into Christ Jesus, if we've been made a part of Jesus Christ, engulfed within Christ our Lord, then we have died to sin in Him and in His resurrection to life eternal, we are raised with Him as well. We don't leave Him we stay within him. We live within him. Part of him. And he part of us. It seems like kind of a straw man argument. Is, is Surely nobody was really saying, well, you know, the, uh, 
let's let's keep sinning under your scheme, you know, because gee, we can have more fun, and, uh, and it'll still work out. So he was being accused of saying that we should continue to sin. Jewish Christians were saying because you are denying the importance of keeping the law for being a Christian, therefore you are encouraging people to sin by doing that. And you're saying that by sinning more, you get more grace? That's what they were claiming he was saying. In other words, they were generating the straw man and using it against him. And his response to that, now, who's the they here? It's the general Jewish Christian community that he's been combating for years now. Throughout the, throughout the eastern half of the Roman Empire, throughout the areas where he has established churches. Now that he's come into in the, writing this letter to Rome, a church he did not found, he's continuing those arguments because he knows there are Jewish Christian elements in the church in Rome who are likely to have heard about him and who are likely to have the same kind of arguments to use against him that were used in Corinth, that were used in Ephesus, that were used elsewhere. Aren't, aren't they saying, you're, Paul, you're giving them too much wiggle room? Yeah. Paul's really giving you less wiggle room. One of the biggest problems that Paul encountered was the rejection within the Jewish Christian community of the incorporation of Gentiles into the covenant. Uh, the issue <clears throat> so often wasn't about Jesus. It was about including <coughs> Gentiles into the covenant community. Something that rarely happened under traditional Judaism. You might marry in. Someone might be a God-fearer and finally just, you know, some guy, <laughs> mixing the metaphors, go whole hog and become circumcised and become a Jew. And that did happen from time to time. And Judaism was... <coughs> strong enough and, and willing enough to, if someone was willing to go that far in conversion, then they must really mean it and we will accept them. And certainly accept their children if they marry in and, and have a, a wife who is Jewish, then we'll ac certainly accept them. Um, that, was, that was a process that was known in Judaism but was not popular and did not happen a lot because what it required was rather steep. Um, here we have a way for people to get into the covenant community without giving up some blood and a little bit of flesh, so to speak. We've got a way for all of these Gentile men to get in without having to cut on themselves, literally. We've got a way for Gentile women to get in without having to cook kosher and make kosher clothing. We've got a way for these Gentiles to get into the covenant community without becoming Jews. And that was the real problem. But I thought that that was what um, Jesus came to you know, stop and include everybody uh -huh. into that covenant. <laughs> to like break them. down those barriers. Yeah. Salvation by grace through faith, which is the proclamation that Paul was making uh, and was being proclaimed to the Gentile community but the Jewish Christian community was not all that happy about it. The Brethren of James faction within the early church was saying, yeah, no. The men have to adopt uh, circumcision. The women have to adopt the dietary regulations in terms of cooking and the blood regulations in terms of how they keep themselves clean during their period. And thus, it, just, it, just, it just snowballed. And they would be willing to accept Gentiles so long as those Gentiles became Jews in order to be Christians. And what Paul was saying was, you can be a Christian without also being a Jew. And that the conflict, therefore, could be summarized simply that Paul is saying that one can commit more sin in order to get more grace. And he is saying, nah. We have died to sin by being immersed into Christ. And we will rise with Christ to life eternal in Christ, having died to sin. But in terms of, I mean, it's just really an argument of, yes, you will. No, we won't. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, right. It does become that. If you don't, if you don't believe it, it's it really strong. Work. Precisely.
the several things are being assumed here. And one of the things that was, remember earlier on, back in chapter 4, Abraham is identified as the patron, the true father, of the Gentiles because he was justified by faith just as they are justified by faith. Not by keeping the law, but by faith. And therefore, what he's doing is he's ripping out from underneath the Jewish Christian community one of the legs that they were standing on, i.e., we are children of Abraham. And they were very proud of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Paul is saying, mm, well, you may be children of Abraham biologically, but the Gentiles are children of Abraham theologically because he was justified by faith just as they are justified by faith. And indeed, as he will then say, just as we are all justified by faith, which is what he says in uh, chapter 5. Righteousness comes through Jesus Christ, not through anybody's doing the works of the law. What's the deal on baptism, though? Because everybody he's speaking to, I mean, makes a big deal about we were baptized, we were immersed, or all this stuff. Well, he's drawing a connection not, to the practice of baptism. They're not That's, baptized, everybody's talking to him. That'd be kind of unusual, wouldn't it? 100% baptism? At this point in time, he was probably talking to people who were either physically baptized, yes, but really it's more the theological content okay. that, the, that the, the sacrament of baptism exemplifies. And yes, uh, you've got to remember the, the Jesus movement grew out of the John the Baptist yeah. movement. So baptism, it pre-existed the baptism in Jesus' name. It was the baptism of John the Baptist that many people first learned about and experienced. And we find out in the Acts of the Apostles that was insufficient. It'd be baptized in the name of Jesus, whatever that may mean. And therefore, they Paul would actually baptize people or have people baptized. He baptized very few, but he did baptize some. And some of those had only received the baptism of John the Baptist. Um, so is he, he talking to a basically receptive in that audience? Right? Yeah, he's talking to an audience in Rome that is Jewish Christian with some Gentile Christians in it. And he's apparently drawing a conclusion, probably a well-founded one based on his knowledge of the Roman church, that there were the same kinds of conflicts between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in Rome that there were in Corinth, that there were in Ephesus, that there were in Caesarea, that there were in Antioch, that there were in the other places where Paul had founded and pastored churches. And so when he would talk about being baptized into Christ, the people who heard it immediately knew what he was talking about, that they were living within Jesus, that they were within Christ Jesus finding their existence. And what he's saying is, we were, we died to sin when that happened. I'm not preaching a message of license for sin by saying that it is not by keeping the law that you're saved. By denying the laws and the keeping of the law for salvation, I'm not saying that we should sin a whole lot to get a whole lot of grace. <clears throat> Darn it. <laughs> but that's not what he's saying. And yet there were people who were accusing him of that. They'd accused him of it elsewhere. And he is suspecting that that accusation is going to follow him to Rome. Four. Four. If we had, see, if we were just, if we had just started in chapter six, verse five, which is where we left off last time, we would immediately have to go back to see what he's saying four about. Uh-huh. Four is the Greek word gar. And it says, take a look at what we just finished in the preceding paragraph or sentence. (laughs) Four, if we have been united with him in a death like his, and if we have been immersed into him, if we've been incorporated into him, then we've definitely been united with him in a death like his. We will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed. What is sin? The Greek word is hamartia. In English? Hmm. 
the A is pronounced with the sound, the aspirant H. Hamartia. And it means to fall short. It's an archery word. When you would shoot in a target and your arrow wouldn't even make it to the target but fall into the ground, you had hamartiad. <laughs> You'd fallen short. You'd missed the mark. And that is sin. Not so much the things that you do, but the very condition of failing to uh, reach the mark of God's will for you. <clears throat> to be what God wants you to be. And that's what he's talking about here, that condition. We know that our old self, the old self that <laughs> subsided within Harmartia, was always falling short, was crucified with him so that the body of sin, Harmartia falling short, might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. That probably ought to be underlined. Enslaved to, over the, uh, under, the, under the power of, controlled by, dominated by, mastered by. Here it says serve. serve. So that we wouldn't serve sin. Yeah. So that we are no longer under the control of sin. What's the, the, the body of sin? Is that our sinful body? Is that what that means? Uh, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin, um, in order that our body of sin, that is not just the specific things that you do, that I do, that any of us does. It's the very nature of sin. It's this hamartia, the falling shortness of our existence. The desire to do it my own way and to hell with God's way. That whole, the body of our sin, the totality of being a sinner, in other words. For, um, we know... Is it like the sinful world? I mean, sin in the world, is it, or is it still talking about the individuals who are... Well, literally, themselves it's, the it's literally themselves. the body of... Uh, our body of sin. You could so even thinking you've sinned before, thinking about doing, or the desire, the desire, desire to do, to do things your own way without concern for God's will. And it's a specific. It's not just in general in the world. It's us. It's your old self, right? That's the body, the old the, self. Paul talks about it in Galatians as the old man of sin. Mm -hmm. The old desire to do it yeah. in your own way. Well, he said that here too, didn't he? In the very beginning. Right. Our old man. That Where our is your man what, what, what verse? Well, verse 6, that, in the beginning of it. This, our, our, our old self. self. Calls it old man. Mine has old man was uh -huh. crucified together with him. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it does. It uses the word anthropos there. <laughs> My translation didn't help it any. <laughs> Yeah, literally the old man of sin, which is a term, a metaphor for that bit of each of us that wants to be in charge and do it its own way. And as I said, literally and meaningfully and intentionally and to hell with God's way. I'm in charge and I'm going to live my life the way I think best and I don't care not only what you think, I don't care what God thinks. Or I'll make God think the way I want God to think. I'll worship a God who's in my own image. Which is generally what we're doing when we're going to swim around in our own sinful nature, which is what he's talking about. That is what's been put to death. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ is being raised from the dead. Excuse me. 
we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The hard part there, at least in my estimation, is found right there in verse 11. You must consider yourself dead to sin. I like that part because it goes back to the uh, verse 6 again. Oh, yeah. Where the sinfulness that was powering over us, not even giving us a choice not to serve itself, was now no longer in charge. So we don't have to be a servant or a slave. We're free to, to not sin. be a servant to, to sin. We are dead to sin in that we don't have to. We have a choice now. We're not. Yeah. We do have that choice. But that when you're saying you're dead to sin, that means you are dead to anything but obedience to God and you don't have a choice in it. He's got the choice. And that's a pretty big... Some people might say, well, might as well be dead to life here in the United States. But he, if you of have America. To, but you I have mean, to, being realistically speaking, you understand. Don't you have to take it in the context of what he's talking about here? I well? am. He's saying dead to sin and he's already talked about being immersed in Jesus and dying with Jesus. I think, you know, right. you're dead to sin, man. You you're got dead to the power. No, you're dead to the power. It's I don't read the power verse, of sin. Verse, <laughs> verses 5 through verse 11 six. expand out what he's talking about, about being baptized into Christ, into his death and being raised. Yeah. Essentially what he's doing in verses 5 through 11 is expanding out and expanding upon what he said in those preceding verses. He's explicating yeah. it a bit here. And what it means to die. Which means considering yourself dead to sin. Which means that it is so very simple to go the opposite direction. And that's the essence of that wonderful old term that we hear a lot of, or used to hear a lot of in Christianity, called backsliding. Exactly. That's exactly the picture I have when she was talking about the curvy road and the signs. I've got this picture right here of being dead to sin and you're at the precipice, and you're teetering. And if you take a breath and go the wrong way, you're back, like you said, you're going down. You back you're going down, exactly. I didn't give God the power. Whoops, I thought I did wrong. You demanded wrong. it for yourself again. But you might not know that. Instead of considering yourself, that was where I was saying, that's yeah. the hard part. Considering yeah, yourself dead to sin. Yeah. To, the, to the power, to the power of so that sin. you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Just as Christ Jesus is alive to God now in the resurrection, so also we are alive That's to God now in our resurrection today. This instant. I mean, the resurrection is not just something that is to come. It is something that impacts us here and now today. We are raised to new life in Christ right now. And... And the problem, that the struggle comes with that total relinquishing of that self-will. Self-will is synonymous with sin when the self is the focus and not God. And considering yourself dead to sin is the objective so that you can live with Christ. And it is so easy when faced with temptation to not consider yourself dead to sin and dive into something that you know is going to take you the opposite direction, is going to take you away from God's will for you. It doesn't say that we're not going to sin again or that we no, are free from but that's not what I'm talking about. We have a choice to go into and through the life that God has for us or not to continue in the life of faith or not. Uh, I'm not talking about sins as individual discrete things, but an orientation of one's spirit towards God's will or away from God's will. And it is possible to say, I've had it, God. I'm going to go do it my own way. I've met people who've done that. It scares the willies out of me. <laughs> well, Satan loves it. Oh, no. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Screw tape. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Screw tape. Same thing. Exactly. Same thing. But no, I'm serious. Um, it, you can do that. And I've met people who've done it. And it, it, is, it really is a frightening thought. I mean, normally we're, when we talk about sin, we're talking, well, I'm just going to go, you know, I, I want to I commit this particular sin. God's not worried about that. That doesn't bother God so much as saying, all right, God, I know I have discerned what your will is. I'm pretty sure about it in this case, what your will for me is. But I'm going to do my own thing. Like John. Like, exactly like that. Do we have, does anybody have a living Bible or something? That, another translation Please. of dead <laughs> oh, to, God. Dead yes. to Please sin, read live for to us from the living, oh, is that the living or the new living? This you is the old like living. Okay, I want you to read verses 10 and 11. Or whatever it gives in it. <laughs> yeah, <Okay>. Three paragraphs. <laughs> he died once for all to end sin's power. But now he lives forever in unbroken fellowship with God. So look upon your old sin nature as dead and unresponsive to sin. And instead, be alive to God, alert to him through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to go back and start over again and read from 10. And I want to stop you. Okay. So I want you to hold your place when I stop you because I want you to start again in a moment. Okay. Start again. He died once for all to end sin's power. Stop. To end sin's power. The power of sin. Sin is, in this case, kind of like a discrete thing that has dominion over you, which is exactly what it means when it talks about the old man or the old self of sin. Keep going. But now he lives forever in unbroken fellowship with God. Stop. That's what it means to be in the will of God. Unbroken fellowship with God which is what we're all called to be. And when we are baptized into Christ, that is what we have. Go. So look upon your old sin nature as dead and unresponsive to sin. Stop. Look upon your old sin nature as dead and unresponsive to sin. Hmm. Okay, go. And <laughs> instead be alive to God, alert to him. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be alive to God, alert to him, aware of being being responsive to, being ready to receive and, and respond to God. I like that. I, I do too. Good stuff. That but this a, opens up a whole new can of worms for me. And I know Lee's going to follow me on this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> You're going to take this leap. You're probably speaking for Lee again, aren't you? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, why don't you just go ahead? Tell us <laughs> 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 what you think, Lee. Here's what it is. Back up. 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 Back once we've accepted Christ, now before we accepted Christ willingly, we were automatically forgiven our sins. Now that we accepted Christ, and if we do that U-turn now and say, okay, I'm going to do this on my own. I, I understand that this is what you desire. This is your plan. But I'm doing it my way, God. After having already... Put, yeah, does that put me in a worse category than this guy that... Worse category? Oh, or, or, I mean, what does that do to me? A different are, level are, of are you thinking that too, Lee? I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not with you yet, but he can probably explain it. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's probably asking if we have the highest standard. Yeah, yeah. That's well, the question there it, it also is related to the concept of... Um, that, that the Calvinists and the Baptists have of once saved, always saved, or eternal security. The idea that it's not even possible to do that. Because once you're in, you're in and you can't get out. The Baptists like, believe that? Yeah. Once saved, Why always saved. Once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. Why are you going to go to hell for everything you do in the Baptist? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I was going to go to hell because I wouldn't go there. 
Well, they say that. Because I had been baptized there. That's it. Once you're baptized there, you don't go to hell anymore. It's like the Roach Motel. She wants a free ticket. Give me a free ticket. Where's Vernon when we need you? Now, but that that is not. Well, that's the position of the Calvinists and the Baptists. It's not mine. I don't believe it's Paul's. The idea is is that it is possible, having begun and having entered into a relationship with God, having been baptized into Christ, both both ritually and theologically, having entered into the relationship, it is possible to come to a point where you then say, that's it, I've had it, no thank you, goodbye. Now, I can't imagine that, but I have known people who've done it. Me too. And... Are the people who do that held to a higher degree? Is what your question is? Yeah. Am I, I in worse trouble now that <laughs> just not? That knowledge killed you, didn't it? Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. While while by human standards we would say yes, it's actually in terms of grace yeah. and what Christ did on the cross. I believe that it's all essentially the same thing. It, it may be harder for someone who became a Christian who then turned away to then come back because of their own issues of pride and other crap like that. But but for God, it's just as easy to forgive sure. that as it is to forgive it initially. There is no sin. There is no sin. There is no sin. There is no sin. We hope so anyway. There is no There is no sin that has ever been committed that Jesus didn't die for. But that's not to say that there are sins that don't go uncovered. If you do not even though Jesus died for Adolf Hitler's sins, since Adolf Hitler apparently never ended into a relationship with God and lived within Christ Jesus and, and conformed himself to God's will. I don't think he did that. Mm-hmm. No, Since he didn't do that, he isn't covered by what Jesus did. Jesus paid the price, but it didn't get to him because, as we find out elsewhere, earlier in Paul's letter to the Romans, the effects of the cross come for faith in Jesus Christ. So... Hitler didn't get a free ticket to heaven. Uh-uh. Just because Jesus died for the sins of the whole world doesn't mean that the whole world is necessarily saved. It means that the whole world can receive the gift. Okay. Unless unless he was a Calvinist or a Baptist. Well, that, if you're Calvinist or a Baptist, <laughs> it's a different issue. <laughs> he may have been a Baptist. I know. It, it, well, <laughs> I don't think Baptists would like that. <laughs> but <laughs> Germans were what? Lutherans. <laughs> Lutherans. Lutherans are Lutherans. Roman Catholics. That's right. He was an Austrian, so he had a better chance of being a Roman Catholic. Yeah. Um, the idea is that I don't believe it's any harder for God. Jesus already died for it, so I don't believe it's harder for God to forgive those who have backslid and then come back, backslid all the way out and then come back. But it's harder for us who do that. But he would have thrown the same party for the son who stayed home. Son, you are with me always. But had you wanted to, I'd have had a party for you too. I mean, that's clearly implied in the story of the prodigal son. So the only people that aren't going to get the ticket to heaven or to eternal life are the ones that have never entered into a relationship with Christ. But I want to be a little more general than that. For those who have not entered into a relationship with God. Okay. So what about... Okay, I I, I think they're going to be exempt. Anybody who's never... <laughs> Let me get my pad out here and check that one. <laughs> a relationship with God. No, I'm thinking about we like want to be children in that group. And, sure. and people who've never been exposed to They the are knowledge. judged by the light that they, according to Paul in chapter 1 of Romans, in okay. chapter 2, they are judged by the light they have received. Okay. 
And that is the basis upon which God judges everybody, actually, okay. on the light they have received. And I, while I can say there is the sure way of coming to God through faith in Jesus Christ, I'm not going to say that God cannot receive anybody else that God wants to receive because Jesus died for the sins of all. Mm-hmm. Period. And if Jesus died for the sins of all and God decides that he wants to save the Dalai Lama and take the Dalai Lama to heaven, even though the Dalai Lama doesn't have Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, whatever that means, and if God wants to do that and Dalai Lama says, yeah, I want to go to heaven, then God can do it. Okay. God's in charge. That's the whole definition of being God. (laughs) I suppose the Jewish Christians would, would say, wouldn't this... Be a whole lot easier. We wouldn't have these discussions if you just keep the law. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Look, we've got the law. Sure, they've got the Torah. Why don't you just keep the Torah and then we don't have to worry about it? We got the covenant, man. We got the covenant. The problem was is that no one could. No one could. No one else had it either, except Jesus. Since the laws aren't written down, they're supposed to be in your heart. My list of sins are different than yours. I can do things you can't. That's right. Guess what? Guess what? If it's a sin for you, it's a sin for you. If it's a sin for you, it's a sin for you. It may be that what's a sin for you is not a sin for him, and what's a sin for him is not a sin for you. I'm going to rationalize like that. Hey, it is not. I have a friend who is an alcoholic. For him, it's a sin to have a glass of wine because it hurts him and it hurts his family, hurts his wife, hurts his relationships, destroys things when he has a glass of wine. For me, it's not a sin to have a glass of wine because I'm not an alcoholic. It doesn't hurt me. It doesn't hurt others. I know how to control it. I'm not governed by it. It's that whole idea of being slave to sin. Mm-hmm. But it would be a sin for you to power. offer him that. It would be a sin for me to offer it because I would be hurting him. Yeah, but there's a lot of leeway there. Mm-hmm. Yes, Lee, that's true. It's Lee's <laughs> way. It's Lee's way. But it's Lee way. If your will is in accord with God's will, yes. Oh, we have Christians that set such great examples of that. <laughs> yes. Oh, don't we? <laughs> but isn't that the problem I think that we have today is people want to set different rules whatever denomination you're in that says this is this these are the lists that are the sins these are things you need to avoid whereas God's establishing that it's individual with you and so to set a list like that it's you're again asking people to conform to what they think well you're being the judge yes very good rather than letting people have a relationship what the Jewish Christians were doing is what we so frequently do which is establish our own interpretation of what people ought to do and not do and say therefore you abide by this and you'll be okay who are we to say that we're not we can't the only person we can say that for is ourselves in conjunction with our life with Christ Uh, my father is a different religion and it seemed to fit him it couldn't fit me but it fit him perfectly but what's your father Pentecostal Ooh, yeah, that's different. Yeah. And you never me. could understand those tongues, right? When he spoke in them? They were pretty. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. So he was, he was a Pentecostal Christian. My dad was a charismatic. What's that? That's close. That's so kind of like that's a close. Pentecostal. The difference yeah. is a Pentecostal, you have Pentecostal that's denominations, mm-hmm. like the Assemblies of God. And then you have denominations that are not technically Pentecostal, which have members of it who have the same experiences as Pentecostals, and they are called Charismatics. Um, and my dad was a Charismatic United Methodist. He sometimes called himself a Methocostal, or he'd make <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's and a good word. Dad and I, dad and I would often have our struggles theologically. And one day, we were out fishing, and I was in the back paddling, which was normal. And well, Dad was such a good one. I just loved to watch. He was a work of art to watch him fly fish. And how you could get that line in underneath those low-hanging trees without hanging up, I'll never know. And we were out in the middle of the river, and I had just finished 
third year Hebrew, and I was back at home for a vacation trip. And I'm sitting there in my mind conjugating verbs because I knew when I got home I would be starting fourth year and I was going to have to work hard. And Dad is out there, and in the middle of fishing, he starts praying one of the Hebrew prayers. And I let him fit. I says, Dad, what are you what are you doing? And he says, I'm sorry, I was praying in tongues. He says, no, Dad, you were praying in Hebrew. No, no. Dad has never studied Hebrew. To him, it was just noise. Wow. But I, I, it was almost complete, one of the Hebrew prayers. I can't explain that. So it wasn't Aramaic, it was Hebrew? It was Hebrew. Same as oh, biblical okay. Hebrew. Slightly different accent than I was learning. <laughs> But I was learning the New York accent. <laughs> he was probably praying in the Jerusalem that's accent. A, I don't know. That's right. As I often say, you know, Southern Jerusalem. As my Hebrew professor used to say, and as I often say, Hebrew was God's language. And and so I, I heard that. I, I cannot explain it. But it, it doesn't match with some theological interpretations of tongues, which is unknown heavenly languages. But it does match with the Acts of the Apostles' understanding mm -hmm. of tongues, which is other human languages. And my dad's own opinion was that uh, for whatever reason at that point in time, God knew that I needed to hear that prayer in Hebrew. And I can't explain that, that but that was his interpretation. Makes perfect sense to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was his interpretation of it. And I can't explain it away. And he, I try rationally to explain it. I can't explain it away. Dad never studied another foreign language. Dad studied no other foreign languages. None. None no, didn't even know Spanish. Just knew English. And not very well. <laughs> Dad, I told him that. I told him prayer. I told him where it was. And he, we, when we got back to the cabin, we got out a Bible and looked it up. And I recited it for him in Hebrew. Did he understand? It was from the Psalter. Yeah. Did he understand what he? No, he had no. He was not given interpretation when he was given the prayer. And he, he said he often doesn't. He would say, "I don't know when I'm doing it that I'm doing it until I realize I'm in the middle of it." That's what he used to say. And I, you know, that was that was the circumstance. That was the situation. And I, I can't explain it away. I just know it happened. Did that help bring your theology any closer together? Or did it? It, it was one of the several events that occurred in my life and in Dad's life where Dad and I were drawn a little closer together in personal experience. Could he do it at will? Could he just, or on request, or... Whatever. <laughs> on the bed. <laughs> on the bed. A little Hebrew here. He <laughs> could he could put himself into a prayerful state pretty quickly where he could do it. But I had never heard him do it with Hebrew words. I asked him to do it again at one point. Out of curiosity to see what would happen, and I didn't hear a language I knew. But you heard something. But I heard I heard noise that quite frank. I I know several languages, and I didn't understand the language I was hearing. But doesn't mean it wasn't an earthly language. I just didn't know it. It could have been an ancient language that yeah. has disappeared. It did have slight Middle Eastern overtones. It could have been an ancient derivative of some of one of the ancient languages, but I don't know. And Dad doesn't know any. Didn't know any of those languages. Well, see, I wonder if that would explain why some people think that they're all heavenly languages. The fact that they. Well, there's some theological ground for saying that it's that, that some form of glossolalia, which is what we're talking about, which is part of the Pentecostal experience, which is how we got into this, mm -hmm. um, that some aspects of glossolalia are heavenly tongues. Dad's an original interpretation of the Acts of the Apostles compared to that was that all glossolalia, all speaking in tongues, is heavenly tongues. And that those people who heard the languages in, heard the speech in the languages of their own country in the Acts of the Apostles, were being given interpretation by God. They were given the gift to understand it. Oh, you may have heard something different and been interpreting as Hebrew with your gift. And you see, I, but see, I, I, yeah. <laughs> Could that, was, that was one of the things that I, I talked that. about. I bet he said that. 
And, and it was an interesting interpretation, and I voiced that to one of my theological professors at, back at Duke, and he said that sounded a lot like the, the arguments and the discussion and the speculation that you hear amongst Pentecostal and charismatic theologians today in terms of interpreting and understanding that. But that's way off of where we are at the moment. We got a couple of minutes. Um, are there any questions on verses 5 through 11 thus far? Again, 5 through 11 sort of expand upon what he talked about in the preceding paragraph, verses 1 through 4. The objective is to not be enslaved to sin, to be under the control of sin, to not serve sin, to use the reversal of that, but, but to be alive in Christ, freed in Christ, given true, true freedom to live apart from the falling short nature. And that's why we are baptized into Christ. That's why we die to sin. So that we can be free to live as the sons and daughters of God. Free to live in Christ Jesus. The question is, how do you live in this world and be free of sin? <laughs> You're always being combated. How do you live in this world and be free from sin? How do you live in this world and consider yourself dead to sin? When you have all of the options, that's a great question. Have, what I was talking about earlier, have all of the options to go ahead and continue sinning. Do those things dominate you or not? That's a question. And when you find yourself being dragged towards by that old man of sin that's supposed to be dead, dragged towards something that you know is a sin for you, doesn't matter if it's not a sin for Lisa, it's a sin for me, and I know it, and it's, I'm being drugged into it by whatever temptation that exists. How do you overcome that? You consider yourself dead to sin. You commit it to God. You say, this is a problem for me, God. I want your will, not mine. And then sometimes it takes a very strong act of the will, which is an act of faith. And simply say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, not what I want to do. And it can become as practical as that. I have a friend who is continually being bombarded by uh, temptations to, to uh, go out and, and hire high-priced prostitutes. He's married, has kids. He's, he, he would call me on the phone and he, he has this desire to go do that. And you know, we've tried to deal with the real underlying issues, dissatisfaction in families, several other factors involved, a real self-esteem issue that he has, several other issues. But he says, how do I handle this? Well, you, one of the steps is what, what you just did. You reached out to a brother in Christ for help to not go that direction. You know it's wrong. You know it'll hurt you. You'll know it'll hurt your wife. You know it'll hurt your family. But you still want to do it. You need to consider yourself dead to that. And instead of do it, go the other way. And you called me because you knew I'd tell you that. Cool. It isn't being dead to, to the sin like you asked. It's you don't. You're dead to have, having to act on that. You're dead to the power you don't that have sin to obey it. had over you. You now have a choice. Before, doesn't mean you're not going to do it, but you now have a choice hey, if not you do it, to. You Before Christ, you had no choice Before, but yeah, to do it. You had this. no choice. You would have never had the desire to not reach out and grab it. The desire to reach out and phone a friend to help you. Phone a friend. To, to <laughs> a take your lifeline. <laughs> to, to take the lifeline that Jesus has thrown you. That's Part, that's an aspect of God's grace. It's the function of the cross there. Where God is giving you exits, portals to get out of it, get away from it. Overcoming the sin nature can become either a whole lot of will worship or can more, which is problematic because it ends up defeating itself. And will worship is destructive. But instead of will worship, you, you focus in on what God's will is for you. 
in those circumstances. And that does take an act of the will acting in faith, but you're focusing away from your desire and on to where, where God wants you to go. Which and you're no longer way. governed by that desire to go into it. You have the freedom to go elsewhere, yes? Well, I was just going to say, it's the counter force. When we're talking about sin as a force like gravity, yeah. Christ is a stronger gravity. Yeah. Right? And so uh-huh. it, 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 the, the contrast between dead and alive. You know, Christ is the <clears> anti-sin. <laughs> but you've got to get close. Which is really different than will worship. Uh-huh. Because you don't yeah. have yeah. that more powerful force. The problem comes you the further you are in that gravity illustration, from that source, yes. the further you are, the less power it's got. That's a good, and, it, and the analogy holds together. Yeah. Whereas the, the further you are away, the less strength it has to pull you, the closer you are to it, the more easy it is Absolutely. to grab you and hold on to you. And the difference to a will worship is you give yourself the credit yeah. that you overcame that desire. Look what I did. Mm-hmm. You did it, as opposed to if you're in Christ and you rely on God to give you the strength. When you do achieve that goal, you give the credit to God, mm-hmm. and that gives Him glory, which completes kind of the circle of what, how the sanctification process is supposed to work. I think for us, the words you're using are easier to accept and understand that. Paul apparently was trying very hard to use Christ's death as a metaphor for yes. all this. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the idea of you are dead to anything is, we don't use those kind of terms anymore. No, not really. Very much, you know. but, but you are dead to me. I, you hear that when a, you, you know, your mother negative. casts you out or something. You know? yeah. <laughs> but other than that, we just don't, we don't think about mm-hmm. dying to anything. I'm You're dead a, tired. Mm-hmm. You're dead to temptation. I'm dead broke. <laughs> well, it, it's how the language is progressed as well. You take it, any words change over time. And maybe when he was writing this and was translated, it had a different meaning. Just like the baptism. I love the way, and this Bible happens to translate it that way, they use immersion. Because I think most people, when you think of baptism, it's the act of baptism. You're coming, going in and you're coming out. At least I do. I won't speak for everybody. And it, and it make when I hear baptism, I immediately think of and see in my mind somebody being baptized. But immersion is more to me more of you're immersed. It's mm-hmm. you know it, it's not like you're in and then you come out. You're, you're immersed. In it. So it's I think the words do change over time. And maybe even no. using death too is it's so final. I mean it's so it, it, it's probably the perfect when word to use is, is death. Is dead. You know it's no longer. When you're dead, yeah. do you have the ability to do anything? Yeah. Do you have the ability to do something when you're dead? No. 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 It's, it's not, not, on this, not in this world. But sin is already dead. It's, it's just final. It's, mm-hmm. Right. And that power that sin had it's over right. you it's is dead. It's Maybe it would be. That doesn't mean that you don't that you you can't succumb to it or you can't give into it because that's the whole struggle. Thing that Maybe we would understand it better if we said sin was dead to you rather than you were dead to sin. That way, sin would have no power. That's that's interesting way to put it. Repeat that, please. Sin is dead to you. Sin is dead to you instead of you are dead to so sin. So it has no power. In the end, ultimately, at the point of glorification or entire sanctification, when you've put off the very last vestige of this physical life, that is absolutely true. But until then, we are constantly being bombarded by the gasping of desire of sin. It's still there. But yeah, that's the idea. That's the objective. Okay, so it's the desire for sin in you that's dead. No, that's dead. The part of you that desires sin is dead, is what Paul said. Not quite. It's It's the aspect, what is dead... Is the governance, the mastery of the sin? The power of sin over you is dead. Is it, is it's power. Mean? It's yeah. its ability to control you like a puppet. Mm-hmm. You have the freedom now to do something other than sin, whereas you did not have that freedom before. You could only choose which kinds of sin to commit before. But since you have been baptized into Christ, you are now freed from its power. Its mastery over you is dead. The strings have been cut. The the puppet strings have been cut. And you now have the ability to say no. 
I want to do what God wants me to do. And even though I want to go to sin with part of my life and, and, and part of my desires, and they're there and they're real, but another part of me wants to go do what God wants me to do. And I now have the freedom in Christ Jesus to say no to the sin and yes to the will of God. Whereas prior to Christ, prior to entering into the relationship with God, we only had the choice of what kinds of sin we'll commit. Which sin am I going to commit today? A, B, C, or D? We didn't have the option of none of the above. And now we do. Recovered addicts would use that. I mean, that's a good metaphor. That's where the, that's where the 12-step program and the recovery mm -hmm. addict system gets their right thinking from, is that whole yep. milieu, illogical concept. Um, there's a passage in the New Testament, I'll find it for next time, where it says, baptism now saves you. And it's not the act of being baptized, because it's not in a verb form. It's the noun form of baptism, which means the substance of what baptism is. The thing that baptism is, which is being in Christ Jesus. The immersion. The, the state of being immersed. It's not the process of going. It's being. Okay. It's not the process of going in this part. It's the process of being in that now saves you. I have a friend who's a Baptist who's constantly reading that to me. <laughs> and I, I, I told him, well, I have a church, a friend who's a minister of the Church of Christ, and he pushed me into a fountain to baptize me. In Kansas City, so in 10 degree weather. So you can quit this. And he says, well, that wasn't your will. <laughs> he, wants me, he, wants him, he wants me to let him baptize me. How does he deal with the faithing portion of all that? Does he just blow it off and say, once you're fully baptized, you'll, you definitely will fave? Yes. He has not, you know, yeah, right. that's right. right. But he Deep says, thinking. He says that that passage, baptism, which this, now which this prefigured now saves you, is the act of being baptized, which means that baptism here should be a verb. Mm -hmm. Getting immersed is what saves you. It's a noun, which means it's the substance of baptism. It's baptisma instead of baptizo. And so it's the noun, which means it's the state that baptize baptizo or baptizo generates and that's what we're talking about here even though it's in verb form the state that's being talked about is being in Christ Jesus so it's the state of being having been baptized it's the state of being within Christ Jesus submerged plunged into engulfed by intersupposition inter within Jesus. And that's where you stay. The problem is, is what you're talking about, is when you get taken out <laughs> by your pernicious will to say, I know what God wants me to do, but I want to do this. And you do it enough, and you do it long enough, and you move further and further and further and further and further away. And you're out of the box. Until eventually you're out of the box. It's not necessarily easy to do. Usually, falling out happens kind of quietly and you don't notice it. Not everybody gets up and denies Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's a fast way to do it. But <laughs> the, the, the slow way is the way that, that, that screw tape would want you to take. Slow down. <laughs> the slow, quiet way to hell. <laughs> moderation. Everything in moderation. Yes, exactly. But you have the freedom, but you might not have the strength. If you have the freedom, God is going to give you the strength at some point. Well, if you, remember the gravity if you're not too far. Huh? Why not? I've seen too many failures of people just not having the strength to do it. Often the failure is that their focus was misplaced.
listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2009 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.